from the 915 to H-Town, from the Panhandle Plains to the Valley, and everywhere in between. This is the 5050 Podcast, powered by College Promoters USA. Join me, Hector Cano, as we cover the Texas high school club and college soccer landscape, along with an inside look at the college soccer recruiting scene. The 5050 Podcast is a platform about the people and for the people who are dedicated to the beautiful game. College Promoters USA, founded and located in San Antonio, operates as the only family-owned college recruiting company in Texas that brings a truly professional, local, and face-to-face approach to area high school student-athletes and their families. If your son or daughter is serious about college athletics, call them at 210-494-6363 or visit collegepromotersusa.com anytime. College Promoters USA, the best investment a parent can make in their high school student-athletes. Here we go. It's another edition of the 5050 Podcast, powered by College Promoters USA, our proud partners, College Promoters USA. They are America's premier college prep program and high school student-athlete marketing service since 1997. Located locally in the San Antonio area, you can find them in the Ventura Plaza Shopping Center, but you can also find them on social media, on Twitter at SATX Recruiting, as well as on Instagram at College Promoters USA. You can also get more information on them at their website at collegepromotersusa.com. My next guest, he is really a coach that needs no introduction, but I will introduce him anyway. He's the legendary coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, the head women's soccer coach, Coach G. Guerrero. Coach, welcome. Howdy, and thank you. Thank you, Hector. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for your accessibility and for your time. We'll uh, we'll try to make this uh, as painless as possible, and we'll have some fun with you. So grateful to have you here, Coach. So uh, so for those who uh, may, may, maybe it's whether it's a, a younger, right, a younger player, younger parent, a younger coach, right, up and coming coach who may not know as far as your your history, your story, your involvement in the game. Just briefly tell us, uh, kind of give us a Cliff Notes version of uh, where you've been and how you got here. Well, I, uh, I guess start where I am now. I'm about to start my 30th year as the head coach at Texas A&M. Um, and that obviously doesn't just happen. Um, I was, uh, I was born in Chicago, was adopted by, a uh, a Guerrero family, um, soon moved to down to Richardson, Texas in, uh, in the early seventies when soccer was just starting to kind of get a little bit of a, of a foothold. Dallas Tornado, we're playing Lamar Hunt, obviously, who's had such a huge influence on soccer, was the owner. Um, and a big part of what they were about was uh, growing the game and uh, trying to trying to promote the, the game through a lot of community service and a lot of things that they were doing with kids. So um, some of those some of those players uh, and the coach, Ron Newman, uh, who ended up coaching me, as a, as a matter of fact, but a lot of those guys were heroes of mine, Bobby Moffitt. Kyle Rowe Jr., Roy Turner, uh, Kenny Cooper. Uh, those were those were the icons in my soccer world growing up as a kid in uh, in Richardson. Then went on played at at Pierce High School under legendary uh, coach Richard Manjoli. Um, and Richard's uh, Pierce teams were the first teams to win state championships in in the UIL when that when that finally came around, which was after I had grad two years after I had graduated. Um, had a great club career um, playing with a, a club. At that time, Sparta, which was the 
top club in, in North Texas at the time and really the state at the time. It it evolved into several other clubs, you know, over over time. And who knows how where you would take the DNA of that right now. But a lot of uh, had a chance to play for and win some state cups, played in regionals, um, played with a lot of guys who went on to play in college and played professionally. Um, then I went to University of Tulsa where I, uh, I knew I wanted to be a coach. I just didn't know what level I wanted to coach at. So I uh, studied physical education, played for a guy, a German named Walter Schnorr, um, graduated in 85 and started my coaching career really there at, at uh, Tulsa as his assistant, as I was finishing up doing my student teaching and finishing up my, um, up my undergrad work. So from there, then I kind of started my, uh, my path. I, it was in, when I was about a sophomore in college was when I, it, the light bulb came on to me that the college level was something that was the level I wanted to be at because the college, my college experience, I had a great college experience and, uh, you know, still, you know, really love Tulsa to this day as a, as a great town, but also the ability to be in a city that had an NASL team at the time with the Tulsa Roughnecks, but seeing how cool my experience was and, you know, all the changes that go on in your life when you're, especially when you're away from home for the first time and, you know, kind of growing up and, you know, in the, the experience I had was being with some great teammates and uh, really having a, a super playing experience. I went to, uh, went to my coach said, Hey, what I want to do is I want to do what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I'd love for, I'd love to stick around as a, as a, you know, as assistant coach and, and learn from you. And he's like, well, you're about to start your sophomore year. Let's, let's finish up our, our playing career first. So, so I did, um, yeah, I had basically the equivalent of a cup of coffee at, at the professional level. Wasn't good enough to be a pro. This was, the, this was in the days between the NASL and MLS starting in 96. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of soccer was in the wilderness a little bit at the time. Right. And that's when I started my kind of my, my path. I went from, uh, from there to, uh, assistant men's coach at Rollins college. And, uh, the athletic director, uh, brought me into his office when I was there at Rollins, which is in winter park, Florida, division two school said, Hey, for an extra thousand dollars, how about if you coach our, our women's team? And I was like, thousand bucks, you got it. I'm in. So, um, so that's when I first started to coach women and, uh, you know, and that whole experiment of what's the difference between coaching men and coaching women and how, what's the learning experience like, all those things. That's when that laboratory kind of started for me. That was in 86. Um, went from there to North Texas was when UNT had a men's team, really good men's team. As a matter of fact, under Richard Lowe, Dr. Richard Lowe um, was his assistant on the men's side. And then got the opportunity to go and take over the Harden Simmons program as both the men's and women's head coach in 88 and 89. And that was a unique experience because uh, the men were division one NCAA division one, the women were dual NCAA division one and NAIA at the time. So we could recruit uh, division one players and play in the, in the playoffs in the NAIA. And our team went all the way. We, we lost in the uh, national championship game in uh, 88, 89. So it was, uh, that was again, a, a further getting my feet wet on coaching on the women's side. Then went from there to uh, coach at Richland College. Well, actually, I left Hart and Simmons. Left Hart and Simmons only because at the time I was there was when the, the school made a the big decision that athletics was going to be one of the things that really 
was going to save the school because the school was it was trying to compete with other division one schools in every sport and uh it just wasn't you know it wasn't clicking they weren't they weren't a team that was going to be able to to do that in basketball or we didn't have a football program at the time so their decision was to go from division one to division three bring back football which had been dormant for about 40 years and with football comes 150 paying players a band pom-pom team the bell the bell ringers all, all the things that go ancillary items that go along with with uh, having a college football program and uh for me that that wasn't division three wasn't my path that wasn't the way i wanted to go i was 25 at the time so i left there went back to north texas for a season and then took over uh the richland college program for andy marcinko uh, when he went on to roads to take over the roads program so i was the head men's coach and the head women's coach um was coach was the director of coaching for Flame Soccer Club. Coached the under nineteen women's team for uh, for Sting Soccer Club, and then came in contact with uh, one of my you know true mentors, a guy named Tom Durkin. So Tom Durkin, who was a U.S. instructor at U.S. coaching uh, instructor at the time, was the state coach for North Texas, and so worked out that uh, I said, well, what you know, I'll I'll help you with the ODP program, which we did for a while, and then. Kind of made a deal that I would I would help him with all the ODP teams as the goalkeeper coach, if he, and if he wanted to come and uh, and coach with me at the college level as my assistant at Richland. So he was like, so I don't have to deal with any kind of administration, any recruiting, any of that stuff. I just come and can coach. I was like, yeah, that's about the deal. So him coming in was a was a terrific learning experience. He was a uh, Walt Chiswick's disciple. Mm-hmm. He went on to coach in MLS, coach with. Uh, Start, he was the one to kind of put the IMG program on its feet in uh, in Bradenton later, and is still coaching right. um, in that level and uh, in Florida. Just one of the one of the best soccer minds in the United States. So, was there for a couple of years, and then that's when the uh, that's when Texas A and M announced that they were going to go from uh, being a non scholarship, uh, what they called kind of a varsity two program, to they were going to go ahead and, and invest fully into the program as a scholarship program. So. Um, I was one of the hundreds of people that applied. Um, I was the lucky one who got who got the job in 1993, and uh, as they say, the rest is history. It uh, became you know quite a march. The first year we were, I think we were 15, three and one. Uh, we were the number one first year program in the country at that time. There was only about 56 Division One women's teams. Right. Now there's 348 uh, Division One women's teams. So we got in at at a at a starting point at the time. SMU was was absolutely ruling the roost. Alan Kirk was the coach there, good friend. And uh, so the first thing that we wanted to do was, you know, we wanted to find a way to challenge for them because our my goal was to to be the best. And I was now at a university that could attract anybody um, for the academic prowess that that the, that the uh, that we have, and then also just the if anyone's been around Aggies the you know, we're all 100% brainwashed. This is the greatest place on earth. So we could, you know, attract a lot of people, primarily in the state, starting out in the state of Texas, right. um, and uh, and then kind of go beyond that. So at that time, I was also working as a, one of the directors of uh, Soccer Plus goalkeeper camps with uh, Tony DeChico, who was, along with Durkin, became another one of my big mentors. Mm-hmm. And uh, so under Tony, I uh, was working every summer for, probably about seven years and uh, really, you know, 
be became kind of enamored with his style and what he was doing the whole thing of, of uh, catch them being great instead of uh, you know berating players but finding ways to to see the positives and what what was going on with them this was right around the time in 91 that uh, you know he and Anson Dorrance took our women's national team for the first time to the world championships in China came back as world champions um, and then Tony became the next coach for the next cycle and um, and for the Olympics and all that. So I stayed pretty well connected with him and, and all of women's soccer as it was really kind of kind of getting its stride as it was right. going through and on, obviously through 99 and, and what happened through through winning the World Cup and the explosion of what girls soccer and women's soccer has been since those times. So I've, I've been really fortunate that I've been on the ground floor of, of a lot of the things going on with soccer in the state of Texas women's soccer around the country. And, uh, and I've been around some just phenomenal, phenomenal people. And uh, have, have, I mean, like I could say, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of places that have, uh, have all kind of worked positively for whatever the next step was going to be. Right. Yeah. You know, so many great names you dropped there, uh, coach, and uh, a lot of great people, uh, great people that have that have had massive impact on the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. One that resonates with me personally is the late great uh, Tony DeChico, who you just mentioned. As you know, I he was my trainer. I got to train with him for when I went through my my goalkeeper level three course, and I just I took <laughs> I took so much from that you know from that time that I got to uh, got to spend with him our entire course. So yeah, so uh, glad to hear that. Thank you for that. Um, so really neat guy, very unselfish. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know that he's not, you know, if you if you came up and met him, you wouldn't know that he's, you know, no. Hall of Fame, World World Cup winning coach, Olympic gold medal winning coach. He's just, you know, just a, a regular guy and very that openness that he had, I think, is uh, uh, for a lot of us who, had, who were lucky enough to be, you know, in his in his orbit. Um, it rubbed off on hopefully it rubbed off on a lot of us. Yeah, he was one of the very first that I was really exposed to that really understood um, relationships and how they can and how he can tap into that to motivate and get the best out of a player. So uh, out of a, anyone he was working with. So for sure. Um, so we go back to 90, right? 93. Um, did you ever imagine that it would become what it is now in terms of Texas A&M soccer? We talk about that culture, that brand, you know, could you have imagined that it'd be what it is now? What were your thoughts going into it? Well, when I when I came and interviewed um, at the time, uh, A&M and a lot of athletic departments around the country had like a men's and a women's side. And um, Texas had just lost a, a Title IX lawsuit that was going to force them to have to start some women's programs. And A&M tried to get ahead of that to just get started with you know our program and really put more money into softball and some of the other programs here. So at the time, Lynn Hickey was our women's basketball coach. Now, Lynn went on to become the athletic director at UTSA. She was one who brought football to UTSA. She's now the athletic director up at uh, Eastern Washington. And uh, so when I was trying to appeal to her to hire me, um, you know, I was like, listen, the, the way we are going to play is, you know, we, we are going to be a, a kind of a, a showtime on grass. We're going to be fast. We're going to play fast. We're going to think fast. We're going to be we're going to be in the community. We're going to be doing things that are going to bring only positive lights on on uh, on the program, but also on 
university. And so initially, my first goals were just to be accepted as a as a viable program amongst our peers within the Texas A&M family. Um, now, again, we've, we've gone on to be the most successful program over those years, but it's 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 really because kind of came down to, you know, what we want to do is our, our goal is is to be the best. It's to recruit the best. It's to um, for me to, to surround myself with the best people and, you know, and to kind of put it in motion that we can year in and year out be one of those teams that are, are competing for a national championship. And fortunately, things have, have worked out that way. We've you know, we've been we've been ranked in the national top 10 every year since 1995. And, um, you know, obviously it's not the same team that we had in 1995 as we have right now. But, you know, a lot of the, the fundamental basic tenants that I wanted to start the program with have are still here, but they've they've evolved over time. And as as anything happens, you know, everything is fluid and everything you, you try to do is is built towards lasting for as long as possible. What what do you feel has led to that? One of the hardest things, you know, what I've always told my my players, my student athletes is um, what as in life, one of the hardest things to do is to be is to be consistent. Right. Uh, day in and day out, year in and year out. What do you feel has led to that consistency and how has that led to becoming a tradition? Well, consistent, I guess consistency starts with me. I mean, I've been here for 30 years. Um, so learning every year from what's happened in the past, um, you know, my associate head coach, Phil Stevenson, who is, I, I would put up against any coach in the United States as far as acumen, as far as his style, his knowledge, um, and what he can, what he can bring players to be able to do, you know, he's been with me since 99. And, um, so, you know, though that has been and Lori Stevenson, who's his wife has also been with us the same amount of time. So that kind of culture that we have within the three of us and then behind the scenes, um, Kurt Magnuson is our director of operations has also been with me since the nineties. Um, that's the, that's the base, the base for what we do. And the other people that we bring into the program are, you know, we bring into, to, uh, not, not to be replacements for things that, that we're doing, but also to just to be supplements to what we do. And, to, you know, I, I think it's important that people recognize in my, in my leadership style is such that, um, I want to, I want to surround myself with people who can do things that kind of cover my blind spots. But at the same time, I want to empower those people to be able to make decisions. So, and to be able to be the very best that they, that they can be. So, you know, like I said, Phil Stevenson is, is as good as it gets and the consistency that he and I have had with the way that we look at players, the way that we look at the game, the way that, and we want the game to be fun. And the first thing I told, I told the team when I got here was, you know, we're going to, I want you guys to really have fun while you're playing for us. Now, it's a hell of a lot more fun to win than lose. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to win within the rules. Um, but first and foremost is we are here to enjoy. I want you guys to leave with smiles on your faces. And I want you to come back with your families with smiles on your faces and proud of, of, of what you accomplished, but proud of what you're still a part of. And so we'll, for example, we'll have a 30 year reunion this October um, for all the girls, girls, you know, in, in my mind, they're eternally 19 years old. Um, but, you know, these women now who are in their 40s and 30s and 20-somethings, and you know, coming back with their families and with their kids and, and uh, 
you know, that that's that's been the for me, the uh, this, the mystery that I didn't think about at, at the early days. We didn't know about Facebook or anything like that in those days either. But um, when Mother's Day comes around and you see you see my girls with their kids or Christmas cards or different life moments that that I get a chance to see, you know, them taking them taking part in really um, it, it brings a lot of satisfaction to myself and uh, and obviously to the rest of us here in the program. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So I I, I fully understand that uh, when you say they're eternally young, right? <laughs> Your players even years later. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, Unfortunately, I look in the mirror and, and that guy isn't isn't young anymore. But, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the fact the fact that I was hired by Texas A and M when I was twenty nine is yeah. pretty remarkable um, because that wouldn't happen now. Um, so that's that's something that again I talk about being so lucky and so fortunate that's that was one of the things that you know has been able to you know now I, i've spent i've spent more than half my life here um as part of this community and, and part of of what we do within within the university right. yeah well you know preparation and timing are so big coach right that's what leads to opportunity as you know so yeah so um so we start looking here you know, you've obviously the game has changed tremendously just across the board, internationally, nationally, at the collegiate level. You know, we start surveying the land here, the college soccer landscape. What are your thoughts from what you can share? Um, what are your thoughts just in general on the transfer portal and maybe just where where you think it's headed? I, I know there was recent news with the board of directors and, the, the you know, the transformation committee and kind of forwarding uh forwarding results or potential results findings to the d1 council about there may be changes in the works down the road obviously you can't you can't speculate or comment on that but thoughts on just how the transfer portal has what it has become where it lies and maybe where it's headed well i i can i can quote you what our our basketball coach said because when you know as we were coming through the pandemic was right around the time that you know the transfer portal became a thing um and then at the same time was when all of a sudden you know nil came around and um yeah. you know buzz williams who's our men's basketball coach Correct. said well gentlemen we are we're no longer coaching amateurs it's this is now this is now turned to be a, a very professional model and, and he's he's absolutely right in the way that that's gone now you know obviously 99% of what is going on in the changing of the landscape at the college level is, is because of money and because of football, which drives, which drives that money truck into the university. So as, as soccer goes, you know, we've got to kind of hang on. And, uh, yeah, I, I tell you as a, someone who played men's college soccer and a program now at the Tulsa men's program is one of the best in the country. And, uh, what Tom McIntosh has done with that program is just amazing. And uh, I worry about programs like that, not necessarily that one specifically, but, you know, non-revenue sports on the men's side. Um, I, I, I have some real fear and trepidation about what could happen to those programs as more money gets moved into the football players pot. Um, you know, there's, you know, you can grow the pie, but that pie still stays based on whatever your 
whatever your school is about, it's going to be pretty, pretty similar. So, you know, there's going to be some tough decisions that are going to be made. I fear uh, going forward by a lot of universities. And again, what, what a small private school does compared to what a, a behemoth state school does to a religious affiliated school to a division two school division, all those, I mean, those are unique unto themselves and those will be tough decisions that those people have to make on the women's side. Um, I think I th I want to think that you know we'll be okay because um, of Title IX. You know they have to balance the numbers in some form or fashion with what's going on. So I think on the women's side we're okay, but I I do I do have some fears about what's going on, on the men's side and or what could happen on the men's side. And that's that's just you know waking up and, and worrying more than right. really seeing things that are that are happening at the moment. Yeah, and you know that kind of partially springboarded into. A, Part of my next question is you hit on NIL. We talked about the portal and all of this unfolded during the just the mass complexity that was the pandemic or is technically still the pandemic, if you will. But on top of all of that, you now have the the craziness, the chaos that is the ongoing uh, the realignment piece, right, that we're seeing right now that's unfolding currently um, yeah. from that perspective, from the realignment perspective, as it relates to you know, Texas A&M soccer, the SEC. What are your thoughts on that part in terms of just the college soccer landscape? Like I said, I, I'm a pretty lucky guy. I think um, the move, the move by Texas A&M back in uh, 11, 2011, 2012, to make the jump from the Big 12 to the SEC was, which which I thought. I worried about it because I didn't I didn't know that our football team would be able to survive at that level. I, I knew soccer, we were going to go from kind of the top of one division, one conference to the top of another conference, right. which played out. But I didn't know they had a they had a freshman named Johnny Manziel um, over on the other side of the tracks practicing. Things kind of worked have worked out pretty well from that point on. So, you know, I I was absolutely wrong that that was that that was a mistake because that was, you know, they talk about it being a hundred year decision for Texas A&M and it was a hugely beneficial decision for for the Aggies to make that move right. and you see that the change of the changing the landscape now of what's happened from from that time 10 years ago to where we are right now as far as you know the, the size of the university you know we went from it being about 42,000 students Texas was somewhere in the range of 50 or 51 um, now you look at it and it's changed. So now Texas A&M is at like 63,000 students. Texas is still the same place. Um, again, they're landlocked and they've got, they have other challenges, right. but um, I never, as growing up in Texas, I never thought that that would be allowed, that A&M that would be unleashed to be able to, to really go out and start to, you know, really assert ourselves and realize, realize the potential that, that the university has. And obviously that the athletic department has. So it's been, yeah. so when you look at the landscape and people talking about there being for the most part, you know, in talk radio and stuff, but being two mega conferences, it's pretty nice that we're in one of those mega conferences right, right now and, yeah. and have a, a firm, a firm uh, a foundation for going forward because we've got some great leaders um, above me. We've got some uh, incredible alumni that are absolutely 100% all in on, on the university and the university continues to get 
more and more and more competitive um, academically. It's already, you know, seen as the top academic, public academic school in the state. And now it continues, all the programs are just one after the other, you know, raising in the, in the different rankings around the country. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like, hang on, because this rocket's going fast. And uh, it's, it's been really, it's been really neat to see. And it's uh, looking forward. It's hard to see what is exactly going to happen. Again, this all of this stuff is happening above my pay rate, but um, it's uh, some of it is, like I said, is a little bit scary. But others, other right. parts of it are are pretty exciting. Yeah. So, you know, we forward to this upcoming season, to the the twenty twenty two season, Coach. What are give us a little bit, kind of a look behind the scenes, briefly, just plans you and your staff, preseason plans as you get going. When do you get going? Have the, uh, the your new incoming recruits, have they arrived already on campus? What has you excited about this incoming class? Well, I mean, um, you know, during the pandemic, let's talk about pandemic and how a little bit of that affected my program, right. especially. But, yeah. um, you know, it was the first time that we had we played in both in both the fall and the spring. And you hear you'll hear a lot of scuttle about um you know, the men's men's soccer wanting to, to do that permanently, that that's yeah. the model that they want to play in. Um, well, we lived it. And for fortunately for us, Greg Sankey and the SEC um, had the vision to say, hey, now we can play in the fall. We can make this safe. We can take the proper uh, steps to make sure that these student athletes are safe. So we played our SEC season in the fall of 2020. And uh for us, it was it was pretty cool because we played one game a week. Now we didn't get to play anybody outside the conference, but we were able to play one game a week, focused purely on that. Had a great rhythm to it. We won the league um, again, and then um, in the spring, when all the other when the other twenty five conferences that didn't play came on, and we were able to focus on playing non non SEC games with the idea of trying to get into a reduced size NCAA tournament. We were number seven seed going into that. And uh, and made a made another long run to the to the Elite Eight, which the national championship game wasn't played until I think the 13th of May, and then three weeks we gave the girls about 21 days off, and uh, and then they were right back at it. And last year the wheels fell off a little bit because of injuries and and uh, just not being not recovering from the year before. Right, the ripple. Um, so. This past year for us was a, this past spring for us was a really really important year because it was the it's the first time since 2019 right. that we had a real developmental a real developmental season in the spring, which for us we our, our saying has always been, um, and Phil brought up years ago is you know we win championships in the spring we just pick up the trophies in the fall. Because all the development, all the individual effort, all the all the focus on the individual pieces of the of the puzzle are done in the spring when you have a chance to really put your time into it. Um, whereas in the spring of 2021, our emphasis was on who's next and what do we have to do to beat that. And there wasn't this individual development component. And what didn't happen the summer, the spring of 2020, because March 6th was the last time we saw the players, and then they left. For spring break and didn't come back until August. So, you know, we I asked the players this past um, you know this spring, like, you know, who exactly who has raise your hand if you if you've had a, a, a developmental spring before, 
and there was only three of our seniors that raised their wow. hands. So we're like, Ooh, okay. So we've got three classes that are going to go through this for the first time. So a big part of our, our goals for, for that was we wanted to go through, we had most of our players were, were there of our six incoming freshmen, four of them graduated high school early and were already with us in the spring, which has become something we've been doing for about the past 12 years. Um, so those players now are firmly entrenched in the culture in the uh it socially physically emotionally they're they're part of the team and so we wanted to come through and, and know how we were going to play when the players arrive on august 1st and so that if we had to if we had to play a game a week later that we could step out on the field and play we we knew the system we were going to play we knew the roles that people were going to be in and for the most part that's where we are right now so um, so I'm, look, I'm really looking forward to, we've got our other two freshmen who are now here, um, who just reported for their new student conferences this week, um, at, you know, 4th of July time. And now the t- most of the team is here and are coming back. They'll start training together and getting themselves ready so that when we get here in August, um, we feel like we'll have a, we have a pretty good grasp of who we have and who we are um, going forward. So, you know, the players that we've got, um, Sydney Becerra, who was the Gatorade Player of the Year last year in high school, uh, you know, led Flower Mound to the state championship. Georgia Lebb, another player with Solar up in Dallas. Um, Carolyn Calzada, who was is a familiar name for Aggies. Her brother was our quarterback that beat that beat Auburn and beat Alabama last year. She comes in. She's she is, if not the fastest, she's one of the top three fastest players on a very fast team. Um, Caroline Niffin is another speedster out of the Dallas area. Played with uh, played with uh, DKSC and um, and and um, FC Dallas through her developmental time. And then the two new ones are uh, Bella Lister, who's a Canadian youth national teamer, um, goalkeeper out of Vancouver, and Eloise uh, Deschanel, who is um, from the IMG Academy in uh, in Florida. So wow. players who are accustomed to winning which is something that we want we want to have in the team and players who now we think are going to be able to step in and 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 contribute right away on top of that we get our forwards back so i i was without seven forwards last year at different times of the season so um we we get laney carroll back um, who scored every in every game we had in the spring um we get anderson williams back another canadian national teamer um, who redshirted last year we get um miley hayes back who's our leading scorer we get uh, mia pante who's our leading assist player we get the defensive uh sec defender of the year and carlina sample back for her fifth year um so it's it's it really is a it's a very talented team and uh it's a really tight team the the culture within within the team is is really really healthy it's it's a fun group to be around really really some some great young women on this team Wow, that is uh, an abundance of riches. And then on top of that, one of the things I wanted to highlight, I wanted to mention and commend you on, you and your staff as well, is you also get a a new volunteer assistant coach in my guy, uh, Coach Ahmad Brown, who comes from the uh, defending national champion, the Florida State Seminoles, who will be a volunteer assistant coach and also a uh, big fan of his work on the performance analysis side. But also the fact that he is a uh, he's a fellow fellow veteran, fellow combat veteran, and uh, big fan of his work, and want to commend you and your staff for bringing him on. 
Well, we think a mod is going to uh, is is like a next generation um, type of uh, of injection into into the program. Number one, like you said, he's uh, he's he's a he's an he's an army vet. So the first time I met him, I picked him up at his hotel. He had a backpack. He packed a backpack. He somehow got away with that. I would have three suitcases, and the guy's got you know in a knapsack is is able to to live off the land, I guess. Um, well, we won't hold the army part against him, Coach. Okay, we won't hold that against him. <laughs> well, thank you again for your your service too with the Air Force. It. But um, no, but uh, Ahmad is uh, you know comes to us from Florida State, where he worked with Mark Kikorian, um as their main analyst. Did the same thing for Becky Burley at Florida years before that. He's from Florida, so for us to be able to to bring him in. As a coach, he's also going to be working locally with the club that I run, the boys club that I run, the, the cavalry, and helping those boys, kind of tutoring those boys on how to use video and how to use things to promote themselves and to help them in the kind of the next step for, for going beyond. But also we'll be tutoring the coaches within the club on how to use video analysis to share information with their players, share information with their with their families. But he's a, I mean, he, he is a, First and foremost, we've been really, really lucky with um, the volunteer coaches that that we've had in the in the program. You know, Nathan Kogut, who was our most recent mm -hmm. volunteer coach, now is the head coach at Lamar. Wally Crittenden was a volunteer coach for us. He went on to be the head coach at Stephen F. Austin. Now is associate athletic director. Um, Scott Champ was a was a volunteer with us. Went on to be you know assistant coach at Princeton. Uh, Mary Grace Schmidt went on to Pepperdine. So we've had some remarkable people that have been with us and and it's neat that they've been able to use this as a real big stepping stone to to going on to bigger and and fruit and really fruitful uh futures for themselves and i i have no doubt I, now i hope ahmad sticks around for a few years because he's he's going to uh promote our team up a little bit more i think he's going to help our players even more with the way that they look at the game and the way that they they look at at the way that they play and you know, the whole thing with winning is playing to your strengths. So a big part of playing to your strengths is knowing your strengths and knowing the things that you do that are special and, and some of those KPIs that can help you hit on those on those marks. And he's he's going to do a remarkable job on that. But whereas in Florida State and Florida, he wasn't on the field. Um, now he'll get a chance to be on the field and, and actually take his, bring his knowledge to the players and actually be able to coach them instead of just being up in the booth for, uh, for analysis. Yeah. Yeah, definitely revolutionizing the game and where it's headed for sure. So uh, the what has you, you know, we talked about that, your your returning players as well. But what has you, you and your staff, what has you maybe the most excited about this upcoming season? Well, I think that just the, the team itself, the, the collection of players is, um, I mean, I know it sounds cliche, but it really is. It's a it is a fun group to be around. We we laugh all the time, you know, that we wake up every day and, and come to recess. It really is the way it is with these. You know, every team, every team. If you think about teams that you played on, um, a lot of times you'd be like, "Yeah, that was great," oh, but there was that one guy that was a real pain in the you know. <laughs> right. um, we really don't have that. I mean, it really is the the culture that we have within the team is player led. Um, it's coach supported for sure, um, and we try to guide them in, in the right directions around any kind of uh, any kind of landmines that could be out there. But it it starts with the players and the accountability that the players have uh, with each other 
is really, it's really neat to see. It's, um, you know, they judge themselves at the end. They judge themselves at the end, end of every practice. They give themselves scores on one, two or three, three being, being the highest on the energy that they put into it, the focus that they put into it, the technical level that they played with all these things. And, you know, and they're very hard on them. They're much harder on themselves than, than we are. We off, oftentimes will say, listen, I know you couldn't possess the ball there, but we put you in a situation where you were playing 11 v 11 in a 20 by 20 grid. That's hard to keep possession in. It was about, it wasn't about that. So think about what you guys were able to do instead of what you weren't able to do. And um, a lot of times they're like, okay, we'll give ourselves a two then on that one. <laughs> like, okay, you guys can, you know, you guys can keep possession in a sardine can and, and you're still pretty hard on yourself. So those types of things, the, the fact that it starts with the players and it kind of runs through that and the enthusiasm that the players have, it rubs off on the coaches. I mean, we're obviously enthusiastic yeah. about it. This is what we do, but um, them, them show, coming to every day with a smile on their face and, and really being genuinely happy to be around each other. We, we work a lot on, on preventing clicks from happening, which on in girls soccer can be a, a real mm -hmm. problem. Um, and, and the players, the players are a biggest part of, of doing a lot of those things that prevent those clicks from happening. And just, I mean, I can't say enough about the, the level of human that, that we've been able to attract here to the AM program. Such great stuff. And, uh, I guess for the coaches that may be out there listening, coach, one little hint, maybe that you can give them or a tad bit of advice on when you say you work on actively working on preventing the clicks what's a way from the coaching staff perspective from your perspective what's a way that you engage the players with that well we it, a lot of it comes from the players from top down being from a captain's down and focusing on these types of things but it's it starts even when they when the girls arrive i mean we if we have players who have been playing together their whole life we'll we'll try to split them up as roommates um you know, I mean, remember years ago, um, North Texas and South Texas girls were coming onto the team and they were always the teams that were, they were always the teams that were, they were the best players on the teams that were meeting for, for championships. So I put the captains of the two teams as roommates on, you know, and they were as 11 year olds, they were ready to kill each other. And then years later, they're in each other's weddings. Um, so yeah. those, those are the types of things as far as just, the, the girls who come from out of state, we try to we try to uh, room those with girls in state. Helps them with the language, helps them with the culture. It gives the um, it gives the out of staters kind of a surrogate family on mm -hmm. on game weekends, so that they can go around with uh, with other other folks when their parents can't make it to the games all the time. So those those little things of just trying to take down those barriers that you could be the well these these are the this this club and this is this club and this is this club right. you know we try to we try to blur those lines as much as we possibly can and and just the more we we sh more we show initially hey these are great you're around some great people you, i know you were kicking each other for the last 10 years but these are some great people who are going to help you to be better um that those little things are are really good because we've had girls who have gone on recruiting trips uh, they were recruited by everybody um where all the people are really nice until they find out that you play the same position as them. And then all of a sudden you got the cold shoulder and that really isn't the way it is here. Um, our girls are, 
are smart enough to recognize that if they're if someone's being recruited to come and play for Texas A&M, they're probably one of the best in the world at what they do, and they're going to help me to achieve my goals and for me to achieve my dreams. So, getting getting blurring those lines and taking away those barriers, um, you know, is, is something that has been really really successful for us. Yeah, yeah, awesome, great stuff. So as we start transitioning here, Coach, uh, towards our second segment leave you with one final question here kind of uh uh put you on the spot here just a little bit maybe but uh how would you finish this sentence the the 22 season for the texas a&m aggies will be a success if when the team uh well i think we'll be a success we're going to be a success when the team takes the field because the team is prepared. Um, and I think preparation is a, is the key to success. Um, having the, having the problems mostly solved before you step out on the field is, uh, is one of the best ways to, uh, make sure that it's a successful year. Obviously health will be a big part of it. Cause that was our, that was a big problem for us last year. Um, because we do play arguably one of the toughest schedules in the country every year. Uh, we don't duck anybody from outside the conference. And of course, in the conference, we have a target on our back every weekend. So keeping our team healthy, but also just stepping out with the confidence that that we know that we are prepared and uh, and can go can kind of take the safety, the uh, training wheels off and run. I, th- I think we'll, we'll be pretty successful. Yeah, you know, I think of a quote when you say that in preparation so big, think of a, a well, there's variations of the quote, but the Navy, you know, the Navy SEALs had it, you know, they said it so well from the standpoint of you don't you don't rise to the level of the situation or expectations. You sink to the level of your training. Right. And uh, right. So, so true. So true. So true. So awesome. Well, that's going to do it for the first segment, Coach. We know you're going to stick around. Second segment, we'll have some fun with you and don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. College Promoters USA, founded and located in San Antonio, operates as the only family-owned college recruiting company in Texas that brings a truly professional, local, and face-to-face approach to area high school student-athletes and their families. As the lead sponsor and proud supporter of the 5050 Podcast, alongside Coach Hector Cano, College Promoters is proud to be elevating its support for the college soccer recruiting process more than any other service in the country. If your son or daughter is serious about competing in college soccer, call College Promoters USA directly at 210-494-6363 or visit collegepromotersusa.com anytime. College Promoters USA, the best investment a parent can make in their high school student-athlete. And we're back with Coach G. Agrary, the head women's soccer coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, also, one quick shout-out I wanted to mention. Uh, a uh, Someone who's been a supporter of the podcast as of late, uh, Hill Country Engraving, located in the greater San Antonio area up in Spring Branch. Any customs, banners, stickers, and signs, they uh, serve all of Comal County, Bear County as well. So uh, look them up. John uh, Littow, I believe, is the owner. Yeah, and uh, they're located off of 306 in Spring Branch. So Hill Country Engraving, again, for any custom banners, stickers, and signs. So, all 
All right, coach, you ready? Dive in, counter sure. next segment, have some fun with you, throw you uh, some uh, random off the wall questions. I know you'll do great. We'll All see. Right. <laughs> All right, first one. Any game day, I love asking this one. This is as a coach, of course. These are all as a coach, but I love asking this one to coaches. Any game day superstitions or rituals? Uh, yeah, I mean, my players have a hard, oftentimes have a hard time understanding this. Um, one of one of my coaching heroes is uh, Nolan Richardson, who was a great basketball coach for Arkansas. He was the basketball coach when I was in school at Tulsa, and. Um, one of the things that he, he did that I thought was a great idea, uh, my players might not think it's such a great idea, but um, on game days, uh, up until up until we I changed to step out with the team, I mean, I'm usually wearing the other team's colors in some form or fashion. So, you know, we're playing LSU, I'll have a purple shirt. I'll wear a purple shirt to lunch. Um, you know, same thing if we're playing Ole Miss, it'll be red or it'll be, you know, we're playing against uh, North Carolina, we'll have a you know, a baby blue shirt on. I don't have much orange in my wardrobe, but, you know, we find alternate colors that can go along with things. So <laughs> I've had a lot, a lot of players who, like Jimena Lopez, who Mexican national team, it's like, coach, you know that the team we're playing, they're, they're that color. I go, yeah, I know. That's, you know, it would kind of fill around. I go, this keeps my focus on that this is who we're going to, this is who we're going to take care of tonight. And, you know, it's just a, a way for me to go through the whole day kind of, prepared for what we're going to see a little bit later on. And if they, if they look at me and they want to kill me because I'm wearing it, cool. Maybe that'll, that'll go a little bit forward to the, uh, to the game that night. Right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Big fan, obviously very familiar with Nolan Richardson as he's, uh, from where, you know, from the same hometown in El Paso. So, uh, yeah, yeah big legend, definitely a big, big legend, uh, in El Paso. So, all right. Strangest thing in your refrigerator right now. Uh, dog food. <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> That's yeah. A first. So All right. I have a, I have a 15 year old beagle who, uh, she has become rather finicky over her, uh, her years. Oh. And so now she's, you know, really only able to eat soft dog food. So there's a can of dog food with foil over the top of it for, uh, for Penny to eat later on. Yeah. I've, I've asked this question a handful of times now. I think that is now our front runner. That has to be our front runner now, dog food. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Last song you downloaded. Phone at home, on the tablet, in the office. Last song. Uh, you, you know what? I, my wife My wife is a, is a music person in, uh, in our family. And so I downloaded from one of her Spotify Things, uh, Willie Nelson song. I think it was. Um, there you go. Uh, you know, don't let your don't let your babies be cowboys or whatever whatever the whatever that song is. Yeah. Again, I uh, not something that I'm I'm changing all the time. I uh, I like familiarity, and that was a. Uh, I was I was recently in San Antonio, uh, at the uh, JW Marriott for a big mm. for a big Twelfth uh, Man Foundation. Yeah. Uh, uh, weekend and uh, fundraising weekend, and the guy I played in the golf tournament. And the guy who was with he had a big Willie Nelson playlist that he was playing. So I was like, okay, I'll uh, I'll listen to the Redhead Stranger a little bit, go with him for a while. <laughs> All right, there you go, awesome. Yeah, they uh, they love them some Aggies here in uh, San Antonio. I can tell. I, I know okay. you know that. I know you know that. But yeah, still still worth noting. So. All right. you know, we've got we've got one of our one of our stars, one of our rising stars is San Antonio girl. 
Carissa Beckman, who is mm-hmm. just a, a joy to be around. She's a twin, has a twin brother, um, but really just a, a super, super girl. She's she's someone that we're really, really proud of. Yeah, I'm uh, very familiar with her as I coached against her. My team played against her coach when she was back a Antonian High School product. So, yeah, so definitely, definitely familiar with her. Great, great young leader, great, uh, great athlete. Um, all right, so next one. Last book you read or book you are currently reading? So I'm a walker. Um, the way I try to get my – I've got bad knees and, again, aging has not always been kind to us. So I, I walk a lot. I'll walk – I'll walk between uh, five and 14 miles um, based on whatever the day is. And uh, so a lot of times I, I like to, to listen to, to books. So I uh, recently finished uh, Pep's City by Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to listen to a lot of um, uh, mental skills uh, types of books. So uh, Trevor Moad, who is a, uh, was a dear friend, and uh, he, wrote, he wrote two books he was our, he was one of our original sports, um, uh, mental coaches. He wasn't necessarily a sports psychologist, but he went on to work with Saban, then worked on with Russell Wilson. So he and Russell Wilson collaborated on this last book. And it's basically getting to neutral, which is, uh, I really re- highly recommend anyone who is looking for some sort of a mental skills, uh, focus type of, uh, of, of book. He has two books. One's called, it takes what it takes. And the other one is getting to neutral. And getting to neutral is actually even even better than the first one. Now, Trevor died last year, um, was a victim of cancer. And, and a lot of this book is about his fight through cancer treatments and the whole idea of, you know, you can't always have a positive attitude. And it's clear that having a negative attitude is destructive. So getting to neutral and just accepting the truth as the truth prepares you for going forward. So, uh, and then I, I listened to a lot of John Gordon books, uh, Martin Dugard, um, historical books are, are fun. I like oil industry being from the mm-hmm. state of Texas. Now I enjoy a lot of the history about that is, is interesting. So I have, I have a pretty big library that I, I listen to and, uh, I've really enjoyed. So aside from, uh, aside from the 50, 50 podcast, are you a podcast listener? Because we know you're all uh, sometimes, I, and I have to listen to you. I've listened to yours with um, uh, Lance Key, good friend, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Great guy. Great also coach. with uh, Coach Shaw over at at, uh, at Corpus and, mm-hmm. and some of the others. So I I dabble back and forth. If I'm in a book, then I'll stay in, I'll stay with the book for a week and a half or so, however long it takes me to to walk the streets of College Station to finish a book. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, glad uh, glad to hear that you're uh, listening. Uh, so we appreciate that. Thank you, Coach. You bet. Um, I've enjoyed it. So thank you. Uh, this one always ruffles some feathers here. So favorite and least favorite soccer team. Obviously, you, you can't say uh, Texas A&M women's soccer, but your favorite and le- any level, but Texas, I mean, favorite and least favorite soccer team. So um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of styles. I'm a fan of coaches. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Alex Ferguson and of Richard Hardis. Richard, Rich is the uh, goalkeeper coach for Manchester United and for 10 years worked with us here at Texas A&M in our, in our summer camps. He, and he's, he is still the, uh, uh, he's the goalkeeper coach currently for the first team at, at United. So that's, that's the team that I follow because I've had a chance to, 
be at Carrington and be, be behind the scenes with with him and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and some of the rest of the legends that have been there. Um, and then, you know, my least favorite team, uh, well, my wife's an Aggie. My uh, daughter graduated from Texas A&M. My son's on the football team right now and will graduate in December. So uh, uh, there's there's a natural there's a natural rival that uh, that we don't that you know that we don't mention about our our friends in the state capitol. So uh, that that would probably be I, I've been conditioned to that over the last thirty years. Didn't that I didn't feel that way growing up, but yeah. definitely the last thirty years is gone that way. Yeah. All right. I think I think I might have an idea what you're talking about, but yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. So it's not right. Concordia. I like those guys. <laughs> all right. The all right. So next one, you are appointed the uh, soccer czar uh, of America. Uh, what's one thing? First thing you change agenda item number one. First thing you change in soccer in America tomorrow. You could call the shots. Well, if we're if we're talking about me being the czar of soccer, then we're talking about magical fairies and and uh, gnomes and everything else that goes I've along it. with it. But I think that the biggest things that need to be fixed, um, I think greed is something that that if we could eliminate greed in soccer, um, especially in youth soccer, then um, I think that the people involved in the sport would be much better off. I think that the game itself would be much better off. Um, you know, people talk about the pay, the pay to play. Okay. Well, you can, you can do that to pay your expenses, but when the expenses become so over the top, that's the problem. And, um, how much is, how much is enough? And again, it's something that, right. you know, we, I, I run a, I'm president of the cavalry here in, in college station and we pride ourselves on being, you know, a quarter of the price of what our, yeah. Our, uh, our peers are around the state. And again, we're a special model in, in, a, in a, for our particular community. And I'm not saying that we, we do it necessarily better than the rest, but we found a way to survive and keep those costs at least as manageable as possible and with a lot of fundraising, make it to where we get a chance to really take care of a lot of families it, it, as well. So um, I, I think it all, you know, follow the money is, is, the, prob is, is the source of most problems. Yeah, well said. Well said. So, next one. Other than Willie Nelson, who would play <laughs> you in a movie? Uh, who was the guy? Um, so when I when I had a full head of hair, um, the uh, who was the actor who played uh, Hans Gruber in um, in oh. Die Hard? I only you know, went on to play Snape yeah. in uh, the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, with if you put a, a, a full head of hair on me, that's that's who I am. So, uh, you know, for the life of me, I don't know his name because everybody he, he knows me. Recently, he was a great, he was a great, yeah. great humanitarian, great guy. Yeah. Um, but my my college buddy still will pull up a picture of me with a beard and Hans Gruber with a beard and say, yeah. "Oh my God, it's a it's a scary, scary double." So. Everybody knows him as Hans Gruber from Die Hard. Everybody, he played that's such a <laughs> iconic role. So, yeah, good yeah. bad guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, in three words, you can try to summarize it as best you can in three words. Why did you become a coach? To help people. Perfect. Is that three words. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Any hidden talents? Stuff that most people don't know about you. 
Well, I've become, uh, you know, I've become a pretty good air traffic controller um, with, uh, you know, one of the things that that I wanted to do to help with developing our brand at A&M was um, to develop a a summer camp program that would be uh, desirable for boys and girls from around the state, especially, but but it's, it's become across the country and international. And our, the model we went from the first year I was here, I think we had 57 kids and now we've got thousands of kids who, who come in and we're sold out for the rest of the summer. Um, so it all works out great. You've got 600 kids here. It works out great when there's no rain, but as soon as there's rain, there's not a place where you can really put 600 kids. You know, we use every blade of grass on the Texas A&M campus for, for our outdoor stuff. So I've, I've always kind of joked that when I get, after they fire me from being the coach at Texas A&M, I'm going to go be an air traffic controller for moving things around the, these are over here, these are over here. Cause you know, most runways, you only, only got like three or four instead of like 40, like where we have to deal with here in the, in the camps. So it's, that would be, maybe that's one of, one of my, uh, one of my skills. Okay. Speaking of which camp, that's a, a camp you have coming up later this week, correct? We do. We start, we have, uh, we, we had two in, uh, in June and then we've got three in July starting, uh, wow. you know, the go the ninth through, sorry, the seventh through the ninth, the ninth through the 13th and the 13th through the 17th. And like I said, they're all, they're all sold out. They've been sold out since about April. Um, really proud of, of the product that we put out there, the experience that the kids have. We put a lot of time into it. Um, my staff is, is phenomenal. The coaches that we bring in from all around the country, college coaches, professional coaches, high school coaches, um, club coaches are uh, some really, really, really neat people. It's been the one that it's been one of the unexpected joys that I've had is um, getting to work with a lot of these young coaches. You know, Ahmad Brown, who's our who's our volunteer assistant. I, I met Ahmad not because he was at the University of Florida, but because he came and worked worked summer camp with us. Yeah. And uh, that that goes for. Oh, gosh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have if we have 600 kids in the camp, I've got 125 people on staff uh, each each session. So it's a uh, it's about a nine ring circus going on all the time. <laughs> all right, all right, a couple more, a couple more, coach. So, all right, would you rather be able to speak every language or talk to animals? Huh. It's funny. We have, we have a vet school. We, we, uh, right. we have top vet school in the world where, uh, we laugh that, you know, if being a, being a doctor, you only have to speak, you know, human languages, but, uh, speaking turtle compared to speaking lion compared to speaking horse is, uh, is a little tougher. So, um, I, I would, I frankly, I would love to speak more languages, more human languages. Uh, I am, uh, I'm notoriously dumb at, uh, at other languages as a, as a proud Texan, I, I speak Texan, and that's about that's about the only thing I speak. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, last one. Last one here for you, Coach. And you got to be completely objective. You got to be brutally honest here, right? So scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you're absolutely horrible, a 10 being you are like the standard. How, how good – what would you rate yourself as a driver? As a what? As a driver. Just oh, vehicle, I'm, a nine. Driver. I'm a nine for sure. So there's guys in F1 that I can't, I can't compete with, but, uh, 
I'm not the guy that you want to get behind to follow, but I can get behind anyone and keep up with them is the way I, the way I look at it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say, don't tell me you're not the, uh, you're not the far left lane on the highway with the uh, blinker on for like, that's, that's number one pet peeve is people who drive slow in the passing lane. That is they lane for passing step back over to the other side. But yeah. yeah. And Unfortunately, in our, I, I would say that our state ranks amongst the lower end of people who like to drive in that left lane um, and drive the rest of us crazy. <laughs> no, uh, no comment. Yeah, <laughs> no comment. Um, well, that's going to do it, Coach. Um, this has been this has been exceptional. This has been great. Uh, really want to thank you for your time. Uh, but before we go, as customary, we we always like to end on some sort of final thoughts, whether they're, whether they're shout outs, thank yous, what have you, something that's been on your mind, something you'd like to share. We'd like to go ahead and give you kind of share your final thoughts with us as as you are our guest. Well, I mean, Hector, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, you know, I think that the, the only thing I would I would leave off with, especially if we're talking to coaches and parents of players is. Um, if you put yourself in the shoes of those players, why are they playing? What What is it that – are they playing because of some financial reason? No, they're not. They're playing because they love the game, and it's fun to play the game. And so, uh, you know, I just try to remind, remind anyone that, uh, you know, part of my mission, my personal mission, is to grow women's soccer in the United States, especially in, in the, at the college level. And a big part of that – is for administrators need to hire the right coaches that are going to bring in the right players that are going to become the right alumni that are going to help to promote the game and, and the universe beyond. But that all, it all comes down to you need to remember that these players, they, they, they fell in love with this game when they were itty bitty and they've stuck with it through all the hard times because they do love the social aspect of it, the physical uh, rewards of it, but more or less just the, the, the smiles and being around teammates. So just to try to remember that as you, as you go forward, because you have a, you have a lot, you as a, as a coach, you are in a unique position. You have a, an, an amazing impact on people and uh, you want your impact to be positive that they think of you as, as uh, with a smile on their face. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's uh pretty ironic because that's pretty close, pretty tight, cl tied to what I wanted to hit on. And my final thoughts, I think that obviously recently in the news and there's an ongoing uh, speculation, uh, ongoing investigation that has been launched regarding a, uh, a UWS team, uh, a women's team, semi-pro team, and not going to name any names, obviously don't want to speculate, but from the perspective of, uh, of coaches, um, but also people in just in positions of leadership, right? Administrators, what have you. I think it's very important um, that those of us in the leadership positions is not forgetting and understanding with, with our staffs that sometimes if we need to take a step back, making sure we're surrounding, our, surrounding ourselves with other good leaders and leaders that can help hold us accountable or when we're having those moments where we need to take a step back. Uh, very important, very close to... Uh, you know, very, very close to what, what you mentioned and what you hit on is we have to, we cannot lose sight. And and some of this goes back to that soccer czar uh, kind of uh, comment that you mentioned, Coach, is that 
not forgetting why why we do this right and uh, and it can <laughs> if if it becomes solely about the money you know i think we we've lost our way particularly as coaches with administrators people people in positions of leadership so very well, important I think, I, i think a big part of that excuse me the big part of that is um i think the focus by a lot of people above us in different places are um are a little off kilter. Um, you, and again, I, I run a club here in town. I'm, I'm the president of a club. I don't coach the teams, but I try to coach the coaches. And I try to remind them that my goal for every boy in our club is that three or four of his teammates are going to be in his wedding in 20 years and not that they're going to get a scholarship someplace and not that they're going to be picked for the national team. If they're going to be picked for the national team, we we can help them with that path. We can put them in, we can help them locally and then we can put them in, into contact. They want to play for a, gen, a, you know, MLS next. We can set them up with opportunities to do that. But the biggest thing is, you know, we want them to love the game so that this becomes a, a lifetime pursuit that even when they can't, even when they're old like me and you can't play it anymore, you can still enjoy it and you can still look at it with with positive memories of, of when you were when you were one of those people in the shorts running around out there. So, you know, that's I try to remind it's it we get ahead of ourselves sometimes as coaches and what we want and what what sometimes is good for our ego um, compared to what we really want. I think what I really want is I want these boys or girls to uh, to really enjoy this experience and look at this as one of the bright parts of their life when they look back 50 years from now, what were some of the cool things you had? And almost, if you ask anyone who is a former player, college player, whatever level, they'll always they'll always go back to times with their teammates and special times they had after a game or on a trip or something along those lines instead of, you know, I remember, you know, beating some, you know, or I remember talking to a college coach about a scholarship. That's not, that's not what they're going to remember. They're going to remember what they did with their teammates right. and, so as coaches, we're the ones who hopefully can guide them into a, a great experience by being in a really good environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. And yep, that's going to do it. Uh, coach, uh, thank you. Uh, again, he is uh, Coach G. Guerreri, the head women's soccer coach of the Texas A&M Aggies. Coach, we wish uh, you, your staff, your squad the absolute best uh, this upcoming season, the 2022 season. Thank you again for your time and for your accessibility. And thank you for all the things you were doing in terms of just growing, growing the game, not far beyond the just the brand of 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 AM and Aggie soccer, but what you're doing in terms of just the game here in this great state of Texas. We thank you for that. Thank you for being on here for our listeners, for our supporters. Again, thank you for your time. We appreciate everything you're doing in support of us. Continue to download, continue to listen to it. Again, you can listen to us on all major podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. So until the next time, you know what to do. Keep downloading and keep listening. You've been listening to the 5050 podcast powered by College Promoters USA. Help us continue to grow by liking, rating, and subscribing on all major podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at 50 underscore 50 pod, on Instagram at 50 underscore 50 podcast, as well as on YouTube at the 50 underscore 50 podcast. Until the next time, keep downloading 